Hey, this is Joe, and I'm the host of That High School Life. I'm an international school teacher in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Each episode, I talk to a student, teacher, or a professional who shares their stories and insights into what high school is all about. Welcome to That High School Life. Welcome to episode three of That High School Life. This is a special episode because it's being recorded in my hometown, Toronto, Ontario. Toronto is a cosmopolitan city. One of my favorite things about it is the wide availability of food from multiple cultures and the diverse set of people from different ethnicities that come together forming the city that I call home. So today I'm joined by my guest, Reina. Say hi, Reina. Hello. I'll let her introduce herself soon, but here's a short bit of background. Rain is a professional who currently works at the University of Toronto, and her family moved to multiple places when she was a kid. Today she joins me to talk about her experience as an international high school student, and to talk about advice that she has for students who are thinking of coming overseas to study. Before we start digging too deeply, uh, Reina, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Reina. I am, like you just introduced me, I'm a professional at the University of Toronto. I've been in Toronto for the last 12 years. And so I'm originally, I originally came to Toronto at 18 as an international student. I applied to university as an international student. And before then I had grown up in three countries, four countries. Mm -hmm. I was uh, born in the Tokyo area of Japan and then at the age of five, my family and I moved to Taipei, and I went to Taipei American School there for five years. Then we moved to Michigan, and I went to public school there for three years. And then finally, we moved to Osaka, Japan, and I went to a school, like a combined school called Senri Osaka International School. And then at the age of 18, I moved to Toronto. So that's sort of my life in a moving nutshell. <laughs> I did. I moved around a lot. And so I have this very dear place in my heart for international school students and international st schools in general in the world because I think we as third culture kids have so much in common. And whenever you meet someone, even on the streets, who say that they've been to international schools, like you know that there's this you know, this like connection <laughs> instantly. So I really like that about my identity. What are some of the traits that third culture kids might share? I think, you know, it's funny. It's kind of how you explain Toronto. It's mm -hmm. very diverse. There are kids from different ethnicities. Kids have different accents. Kids go home to different places over the summer break, or maybe they don't even go home because that's their home. And so mm -hmm. it's just like this this combination of all these different things that kind of come together in the school. And, and it's not just the students either. It's also the, the teachers who are also from all over the world. I mean, I started at Taipei American School in grade one, and I spoke mm -hmm. no English, and I was in ESL. And my first grade homeroom teacher was Mrs. Ms. Chamatsong, and I couldn't even say that name. <laughs> and my mom was like, oh, yeah, your teacher's from Tibet. And I'm like, I, didn't even, I don't even know what that school is. Um, and then so and then grade two, I had uh, Miss Melwani, who was from India. So in grade one, I already had a, a teacher who taught this American curriculum, but originally she was from Tibet. Grade two, it was a teacher from India. And in grade three, I had this white American teacher. And uh, that was also very different from the first two years of 
being at TAS. So I think it's just like this really great blend of different people and different ethnicities. And as a kid, I didn't even think that that was weird or anything either. That was just my life. Right now, your story is pretty unique in that your family has moved around quite a bit. Um, And you went from school in Michigan, a public school, to an international school in Japan, in Osaka. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So the school that I went to, it's two schools combined into one school, or I guess in one building. Mm -hmm. So there are two schools. The one school that I went to is called Senri International School. And that is a grade 7 to grade 12 Japanese school. So the curriculum is in Japanese, and we follow the Japanese Ministry of Education curriculum kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the special thing about this school is that it's for mainly for kids who are returnees. So again, like third culture kids or Japanese kids whose parents, you know, were working abroad. And so we were raised abroad and then you now return to Japan and your Japanese might not be that great because you haven't, you know, studied in language for a couple of years or, you know, your parents, um, you know, were diplomats and you were born abroad and you had never even lived in Japan before. So it's that school combined with Osaka International School, which is a K to 12 IB you know, full-on NYPPYP IB school, mm-hmm. uh, mainly for expat families and or there were a lot of kids who were, you know, maybe half Japanese and half Canadian, for example, those kinds of families and their kids would be going to that school. So the beauty of this school is that the two schools combined, um, you take music, PE, art uh, classes together in English. Mm -hmm. So there's this mix of Japanese kids who might speak Japanese or other languages. And then there's a mix of OIS kids whose uh, mother tongue or their dominant language is already English. So again, you've got this cross-cultural mix in the classroom happening between the two schools. So I was fortunate to go to this school for five years from grade eight to grade 12. Mm -hmm. And... At that point, my language was already, my dominant language was already English. So I did all my studies in Japanese at SIS, but because my English level was high enough, I took IB English and the higher level English classes on the international school side. So on the OIS side, if your Japanese was high enough, then you would then sort of be taking Japanese classes on the SIS side. So Mm -hmm. there was this, you know, very flexible, free-flowing way of going about your studies depending on what your language Mm -hmm. level is. So that was really neat that I got to kind of go between the two schools. And I think a lot of students did that too. Mm -hmm. But we were also very encouraged to, you know, go to wherever we want for university or college. And so having support from both schools made it really um, really helpful. That, that's a really great background that you've given me. And, you know, I, I really like that you've touched upon, you know, the, the experience that you've had um, just overall, right? And how it was a free flow experience between the two schools, uh, despite language um, and despite the different curriculums that were being taught. So uh, let's rewind, I guess, to, <laughs> to 2002. How many years ago is that now? Oh, God. <laughs> a uh, while. Yeah, a long right? time ago. Okay, so let's rewind to 2002. Um, what uh, what are your favorite memories of high school? Oh man, I have so many. Um, I think being in in the all school production musicals. There yeah. was this yeah musical production put on by you know the drama teacher, 
and they would always do a musical that could involve everybody from kindergarten to grade 12 mm -hmm. and we would do it in English so it was also an opportunity for um, Japanese kids on the SIS side who don't speak English or who came to the school without speaking any English to then really learn the language in school and then perform in it on stage so I was part of the all school production musical for the all five years of being in that school right. and I was in the orchestra one year I was in the musicals a couple of years and I also even directed one um, in my senior year and those are definitely the highlights because our school is so small and mm -hmm. and if you watch you know typical um, old school American teen and high school movies it's kind of a given that the, the you know they're the drama geeks it's kind of like glee right like those mm -hmm. kind of kids could <laughs> make made could be made fun of and they're not the cool kids but actually at our school it was cool to be able to do these things because sure. everybody was so involved and so it was really hard to um or it was really easy to be involved in anything that you wanted to be and not really be made fun of right so yeah musicals and um and we also had this thing, uh, I think it's called something called different now, but uh, APAC was this Asia Pacific conference between our school and other schools or other international schools in nearby Asian countries. So Korea, Shanghai, Beijing, um, the Philippines, right. they all have their international schools who were part of this association. So we would collaborate on band and chorus, and we would also have tournaments for basketball and softball and whatnot. And then the students would sort of go to these different schools and do homestays there. Right. So that was also a very cross-cultural experience that you only would really get at an international school. Mm -hmm. That's so, pretty awesome. Yeah. So those, yeah, those are definitely my highlights. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, this school gave its students the opportunity to really uh, try things that appealed to them, right? Regardless of whether it was uh, musical mm -hmm. or sports. So did you notice that? Did you notice a lot of students who were athletic also coming out to be in the school musical? Definitely. And the big difference between our school with Japanese schools is that at a Japanese school, if you join a volleyball team, you're on the volleyball team for the entire school year. <laughs> but right. at SIS and OIS, it was exactly like a Western school where you're only in basketball for the basketball season. And then you could right. also be part of, you know, track and field for the next season. So we operated like that. So our, I think, performance levels for music and sports weren't as high as public schools in Japan, let's say. Mm -hmm because we just didn't practice for the whole year. But the beauty of that on the flip side is that you got to do so many different things. So right. I had friends who, you know, had basketball practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then were part of the musical on Mondays and Wednesdays. And, and it was totally cool to do that. So, yeah, I'm really happy that the school was able to kind of implement that Western system of, you know, doing things in terms. What was your favorite musical? that you performed in? Ooh, that's a hard question. All of them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say all of them. Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat. That was a great one. Wow. Yeah. What, uh, what was your role? I was a narrator. <laughs> but I don't... See, I've never seen the musical itself on mov in a movie format, so okay. I don't really know if that's actually a part or they created it for us. But, oh, we also did Oliver, Oliver Twist, and, uh -huh. I, was, and I was Nancy. <laughs> So that was a fun one. Oh, we also did The Breakfast Club, and I was Allison. Which one was she? Allison is the, the girl who the, puts chips on her 
sa- sandwich. sandwich. She right, was, right. She was like the strange the, one. The angry one. Yeah. And it was really ironic because I wasn't angry at all in <laughs> high school. I was really preppy and positive and I wasn't a cheerleader, but I could have been a cheerleader, like that kind of positivity. But I played that character and my parents came to see it. Mm-hmm. And my parents, you know, they're quite global and international. And they sent me and my sisters all to universities abroad. So they're quite liberal, too. But when they came to see that play, I was thinking in my head, are they going to get it? Because so much of it is about growing up and and being an outcast in high school. Right. And one of the themes is, you know, are you a virgin or not? Right. And that kind of topic you don't really talk about with your Jap- like mm-hmm. your well, well, your parents and especially yeah. Japanese parents. So then when they came to see it, I was kind of, you know, embarrassed. But at the very end of it, they th- said that it was really cool. And they were like, wow, something like this wouldn't happen or wouldn't even be talked about in a Japanese school. So mm-hmm. I think it's also an eye opening experience for parents when mm-hmm. they put their kids into international schools, because it could also be very different from what they're used to. And I think it's great that your school did that because community, honestly, is one of those important things. Like we often think of a school as, you know, just four walls, but it's much more than that. A school is, you know, the people that are inside it as well. For sure. I mean, one of the main reasons I loved school and especially this school was also the people in it, the students and the and the friends that I made and the teachers that I got to know. Everybody was so interesting and you know, every, you know, so many people were very impactful and influential and so many people had different ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. And when it came to um, when it came to the time of applying and thinking about universities and colleges, I was able to talk to so many people about that. You know, I mm-hmm. had Japanese friends who were going to stay in the country to go to right. Japanese universities and that was fine. And my grade 11 teacher, she, um, you know, one homeroom morning was like okay so we're going to start thinking about where we're going to go for universities and colleges Mm -hmm. or you know whether you'll even take that step right and uh you know we need we needed to book a time to see our teacher so that she can sort of start counseling us or Mm -hmm. send us to the guidance counselor whatever it is so when it came to my turn uh my teacher sat me down and she was like so what are you thinking and i'm like i want to go abroad and she's like sweet I actually don't know anything about universities abroad, so I'm going to cut this meeting short, and you should book a time <laughs> time for, with your guidance counselor. And I was like, okay. And that was perfectly acceptable. You know, it, I didn't mm-hmm. get outcasted for, oh, you want to go to a school that we don't know anything about? Like, you shouldn't Goodbye. go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there was definitely that that sense of community and that sense of support. And if you wanted to do something, they will help you. They will get the resources to right. help you. Okay, so uh, let, let's let's visualize this. It's uh, what two thousand five, and yeah, I would you... have finished grade eleven. Right. Okay, so yeah. you just finished grade eleven, and it's I guess around now would be summer vacation in Japan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, so it's summer vacation in Japan. Um, at this point, what thoughts were going through your head about school? Um, so, like, was was applying to post secondary institutions a thought in your mind at this point, mm-hmm. or I don't know, were were you more relaxed in thinking about it? I so I'm the oldest of three girls and mm-hmm. I have somewhat of a type A personality. So I like to be very prepared and I like to think ahead. So when I was in or when we lived in Michigan, I became a huge fan of University of Michigan, U of M. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that I wanted to go back to Michigan to go to university. So I had this big U of M poster in my bedroom in high school in Japan. And I always thought or knew that I was going to go back to the States. So I started taking like PSATs in grade nine and grade 10. 
I was one of those kids. <laughs> and uh, I slowly then learned that math was just not a strength for me. Mm-hmm. I just could not do well in math. So then I started thinking, what's another country where I don't need PS or SAT math to go to? And I was like, oh, Canada. Maybe I don't need math to go there. So um, all jokes aside, the other point was that going to the States was fairly expensive compared to Canada. So already at grade nine and grade 10, I was already, you know, sort of slowly thinking about this and also thinking about my parents' financials as well and Mm -hmm. being realistic about where they could send me for university. Right. So in grade 10 or 11, then that was around the time that I started to really, you know, look at like the McLean's guide that my high school guidance counselor had Mm -hmm. and started narrowing down the schools. And my parents always never... Oh, or my parents always said to us, go to university if you want, because it's a, it's great. But if you don't want to go, we're not going to push you to go, right? It's a completely optional right. institution. Right. And so they were very understanding in that. But I always knew I wanted to study more. So it mm-hmm. was not a question for me to not go to university or not. And um, they also were very open-minded about which country that I could apply to. So we, we thought about the States and Canada and Australia, and eventually I just kind of narrowed it down to Canada. And I knew at this point that I wanted to become a TV broadcaster or a reporter or someone working on the screen and media. Right, right. So I applied to um, Ryerson University, York University, and University of Toronto, which is which are all in Toronto, mm-hmm. all to communications or broadcasting programs. And I got into all of them. But in the end, I chose University of Toronto, um, partly because of the name. My parents, you know, really liked the city of Toronto. We had visited a couple of times mm-hmm. when I was when we were living in Michigan. And also because um, I went to one of U of T's three, sorry, one of the three campuses that U of T has uh-huh. where it was a much smaller community and it was also a collaborat- collaborative program with Sheridan College. So you were able to get a degree from U of T as well as another college. So eventually I decided on that program and I took, you know, TOEFL a bunch of times right because i my english level was high enough but i always wanted to do a little bit better on my scores Mm -hmm. so i took toefl a bunch of times i really um you know worked on my i think i had to submit a resume i guess Mm -hmm. um and then my transcript so yeah i probably did a lot of things to get myself to u of t but i didn't find it all that hard because i already knew from a very young age that i wanted to go to university and i was a bit nerdy right so <laughs> so so the university process was actually quite fun for me and neither of my parents helped me with my application process or anything mm-hmm. they were like we don't know what these websites say you speak the language you apply and i was like okay so Again, like my high school homeroom teacher was kind of hands off. My parents were hands off. My counselor helped me a little bit, but I already knew what I was doing. So I kind of did everything on my own. And and eventually I got in and and then I left for university. At any point were you ever, did you ever feel like you were panicking? Um, Or did you, uh, maybe not panicking, maybe that's not the right word, but overwhelmed. Did you ever feel overwhelmed by this application process? The application process, no. But I was overwhelmed by the amount of things that I had to do in senior year. Right. It was, you know, just 
all the assignments that you have, the exams, the extracurricular activities, my part-time job, and the application process. So everything combined was stressful, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't anything compared to the stress that I had in university, that's for sure. (laughs) And I I guess as an international student applying to universities, I guess it's challenging because it's not just the application process for the school, but it's also visas and study permits. Yeah, exactly. So once I got in, that was almost like the easy part. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I had to, you know, renew my passport and go apply for my visa. But I had a lot of time because I got in in March, I'd say. And that was also the month that I graduated because the Japanese school system goes from April to March. So I had from March to September to prepare everything. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned, I'm quite type A. So I just kind of followed the instructions on the website. And, you know, I I don't think I even went to the consulate or anything. I just kind of like sent things in by mail and Mm -hmm. followed the directions. So, yeah, I mean, I think the only tricky part was that because I was under the age of 18, I needed Mm -hmm. a legal guardian to be my guarantor um, living in Ontario. And Mm -hmm. we had a family friend who lived in Mississauga at the time who we didn't really know, but my mom messaged her and was like, is it okay if my daughter puts your name on my you know residence application or whatever and Mm -hmm. she said it was fine so that part was a little bit maybe stressful like if i didn't if we didn't know that family friend i don't know who i would have put down Mm -hmm. so i think that's something that if it's still done a different uh, university should think about doing something differently because there's no way every single international student is going to know at least one person in ontario over the age of 18 like i think that's quite difficult but i'm not in the immigration so area the uh, the application process it's definitely something that you need to be meticulous in in applying for right i think so and i think you need to take a lot of time to do it it's not like a over an overnight thing you know mm-hmm. you get your application pa- your admission package from the university and then they're going to take you to all these different websites that say different things right. and so you just have to follow all those steps one by one and you know, print things out, be organized, take notes, and don't try to do it last minute because the system could fail you. And you know that government things and bureaucratic things will take time, so you want to be able to be ahead of the game. Okay, well, I'm glad we could talk about that because I know that, uh, you know, there might be a grade 11 student who's going into grade 12 listening to this. Um, And if you're listening to this, you know that I know who you are. So please make sure that you're meticulous in this application process. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think another thing I'll mention is you don't have to think about your future five-year career plan, 10-year career plan when you're applying for university or college. But it is important to just keep in mind where you would like to work and what kind of industry that you might want to go mm-hmm. into, because then that will also dictate what you might want to major in what you want to study in, in university or college. And the other thing is um, looking into post-graduation work permits. So one of the big reasons I applied for Canada was, you know, the one, the part that I couldn't do math but and the financial thing. But aside from that, when I was researching universities, I learned that for Canada, the government will give you a three-year post-graduation work permit. 
So, and it doesn't matter um, what job you get after school, you do have a three-year work permit, so you can live in the country for three mm-hmm. years. Whereas in the States, and I think it's still the same today, you, ha- you only get a one-year work permit right. after graduation. And it's also quite hard to um, immigrate or, you know, get a green card or, you know, just have that option to stay in that country for longer than that period of time. And I know a couple of family friends who are struggling with that right now. Mm -hmm. But for me, I knew that I had three years. And that's a really long time to be able to decide, do I want to be in this country? What profession do I want? Or am I going to go back to my home country? Am I going to go back and then come back? You know, you have that option to think about. So... Something like that is very important to think about ahead of time um, if you have the option. That's definitely a good opportunity to exercise the skills that you've, you know, obtained at like this uh, overseas university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a good way to develop those skills in an international context. No, oh, definitely. Right? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, everyone has different goals. And so if the goal is, you know, after university or college, you go back and let's say help out with your family business, then that's perfect, right? Because you know that you went to school, you're going to make the most out of it, and you're going to be able to provide and contribute to your family business. Mm -hmm. But if that's not the case, you know, you have this, you're, you know, as cliche as it sounds, the whole world is your oyster. So you've got all these myriads of jobs that you can choose from. And again, you know, kind of like back to what I was saying, not everyone has to go to university or college either, right? Mm -hmm. You can graduate from high school and you can get into a profession after that. If you're in the trades, if you know that you're going to take over your family business right after high school, that's great too. I think going to university or college is not something everyone has to do or should do. There are people who um, start working after high school and that's perfectly acceptable too. Like don't force yourself to do something you you don't want to do or you know that you're going to be miserable doing, right? Like you have to be true to yourself. And and I also know that, you know, I have Asian parents. I grew up in an Asian community. <laughs> so a lot of Asian parents will push kids to go to university or college. And I think, and, and I can also see it from their perspective too, mm-hmm. because I think in our world today, a lot of desk jobs and corporate jobs, you kind of need that bachelor's degree, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, like a given so I get where parents are coming from and they all all they want is the best for you they just want you to be happy in a good job but at the same time going to university or college it's not an it's not a necessity it's not mandatory Mm -hmm. so I think at grade 11 when you're thinking about what you're going to do with your future what you're going to do in the next year or two that's when you should really think you know, not to have a concrete 10-year plan or anything, but think like, what do I want to do with my life? What am I really enjoying in high school? Am I enjoying being a part of Model UN, which I was a part of (laughs) for two years, and I did it all four years in university. But I was like, I really like Model UN. And so I want to be in a job or um, study something in university that will sort of... um, sort of relate to that. So I did do some political science courses and through that whole thing, I realized that what I really like is communicating with people. Right. And so I, you know, majored in communications and public relations. And if you are part of, you know, an environmental club, is that something you want to be a part of, to study and to be a part of? So I think grade 11, that summer of grade 11, take that time to really think about what are your interests and what do you think you want to be doing in the future? And will that include the process of going to university or college? Yes, then start looking into it. No, then start also looking into other options. 
that's great advice. And uh, I'd like to uh, ask you to elaborate a little bit more on that uh, as we go into these next set of questions. Um, so there's there's you know three questions left sure. in, in in this interview, um, and there's it, it's basically all about advice. You've touched on some of these already, um, but I think you know specific elaboration is going to be super helpful here. What advice do you have for students who have trouble answering that question? You know, it's that question we all get. Um, what do you want to do when you grow up? It is such a broad question that adults love to ask. <laughs> and it's so scary. And when I was working um, for undergraduate programs, I also asked my students the same thing, like, oh, what do you want to do after graduation? And it's so hard to answer that. <laughs> but I think kind of going back to what I was saying about discovering what your interests are and what you're good at, yep. I think maybe frame it around that. So if, you know, you ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would, you know, grade 11, Raina would have said, I'm in Model UN right now, and I really enjoy uh, learning about current affairs and looking for solutions and resolutions, and I would like to be in a job that could relate to that. And that mm -hmm. could be anything. I could have been a lawyer. I could have been a TV reporter. I could have been an environmentalist. And I think that might satisfy adults for a little bit, even mm -hmm. just knowing <laughs> what to say, like yeah. what your interest is. Can we move on to the next Yeah, exactly. Now? Yeah, yeah. Just to sidetrack for a moment, would you say that clubs and extracurricular activities you know, are helpful in, in answering that question in the way that you've mentioned, like talking about your interests and your passions? I think so. And, you know, some students don't do extracurriculars, and that's fine, too. And then for those kids, maybe they're really focused on their academics. So yep. if you get that question and you really like IB business, then that's great. You can say, I'm really loving business class, and I think I want to major in economics or management. Mm -hmm. So you can get away with it get, get away with it that way, too. Can we move on to the next question? Yeah, <laughs> again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so we will move on to the next question. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so for international students who are soon to be applying to university and college, again, grade 11 students, if there are any of you listening to this and you're going into grade 12, your application time is coming up. Okay, it'll start coming up. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah the, the question of where do you want to apply to, what are you thinking of, will hit you in September. And then by December, hopefully you've arrived at some idea of where you want to go to school. Um, so Reno, what advice do you have for international students specifically who are soon to be applying to university or college? I say, again, have that discussion with yourself. What are my interests? What am I good at? And what might I want to do with my future? And do some preliminary research on your own about schools and locations. But I think as international school students and international students going to uh, universities overseas, it's really important to talk to your parents mm -hmm. because I think for a lot of us, the parents are the people who are paying the money, right? Right. And, you know, if you wanted to go to a small college in Australia to learn how to work with snakes, that's great, but your parents probably want a big explanation as to why you want to go there and study there. That's a very specific <laughs> right. example. But I think it's really important to involve your parents from the get-go because they're probably going to be funding your education and, you know, they only really want what's the best for you. And so even if you say that you want to go into a theater program mm -hmm. and your parents say, absolutely not, we only want you to major in economics, 
Well, there are ways to kind of get around that. You don't have to necessarily major in in theater to get to where you want. You could major in economics and do drama on the side as your extracurricular in university or college. Mm -hmm. And combining that with your economics degree, you might be able to get into musical production or work on, you know, the the administration side of musicals and theater and stuff. Mm -hmm. So you know, just because your parents say, nope, you're not going to major in arts because it's stupid. Well, try to see it from their perspective as well. And then you could definitely try to put a spin on it yourself and try to satisfy your parents a little bit, but also do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I know it's, it's easier said than done for sure. But I also know that, you know, again, having Asian parents and growing up in an Asian community, I know that, you know, a lot of parents will say to their kids, no, don't do a liberal arts degree. Right. Do something more, quote unquote, practical or mm. more businessy. So I say get creative with how you can sure. satisfy yeah. them and measure on what you want to do. And that, again, that's great advice. Did you want to go to Australia to work with snakes? Maybe. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> at some point. At some know. point. Well, maybe I'm thinking about it now. No, I don't know. <laughs> You've talked about your personal uh, experience and that that's very personal advice um, that I think could be useful to a lot of students but now let's take a step back and I guess switch hats as most teachers say let's switch hats now and put on your student services professional hat you know, mm -hmm. that's something that you're working in on a daily basis uh, these days as we speak yeah that's right so uh, my current job I'm a program manager for the global executive MBA program at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. It's a mouthful, I know. <laughs> uh, but basically, it's a business school within the University of Toronto, and it's mm -hmm. an MBA program for business executives. So there are people who are already uh, well-established in their careers. They could be CEOs or entrepreneurs who want to do their MBAs um, in a condensed amount of time and also globally. So my job right. is to... Um, coordinate um, travel logistics and event logistics and a lot of student services to um, facilitate international modules so that they can take these MBA courses at different universities all around the world. So my job also is to go with these students and um, facilitate all of these uh, classroom learnings and logistics while we're there. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I took exactly the measure that I did in university and applied that for a job. And that was my first career. So I was very fortunate enough to be able to do that right after school. And then from there, I started to think about, um, well, what is it in my job that I really like? And then I stumbled upon student services. So working with students directly in the university mm -hmm. setting. So then I did a couple of jobs working directly with undergraduate and graduate students and managing programs and I've been in this current role for the last year and a half. So right. the last 10 years, I've worked with students at different levels. And I also did my master's of education um, in higher education so that I'm a more experienced um, university professional. And having said all that, I think that puts you in a great position to be able to answer uh, the last question that I'd like to ask you, which is, as a student services professional, um, what should all students be doing as they start giving more serious consideration to their pathways after school? I think having that discussion with yourself, like I mentioned, is really important. And talk to your friends and talk to your um, teachers and counselors and your parents. But also start doing a lot of research online. 
and be practical with what you're looking at. So, you know, don't just list all the, you know, dream schools, like really look at their programs and see what they're offering. Do they offer collaborative programs? Do they offer joint degrees? Do they offer a five-year degree so that you get two degrees? Like whatever it is, do your own research and have like a Google sheet and, you know, hyperlink things. And again, like I mentioned, I'm kind of type A, so I like doing kind of these kinds of things. But in the long run, it's really going to help you to have done this research and have it in one location so that you're not overlapping or duplicating your efforts later on when you're doing more research. And you just want to be able to say, okay, I want to apply to this school because it has this program, but I'm also going to apply for this school because it might, you know, have you know, this offering that the other school doesn't have. So you have all these like justifications for yourself to um, apply for these schools Mm -hmm. and it just kind of expands your options. So I think discussions and doing a lot of research and being organized are the three key things. Students who will potentially be applying, please take this into consideration. Um, This isn't an exhaustive list by any means, is it, Rena? No, not at all. No, (laughs) those are just like the three things that I kind of live by. You know, doing your research and having discussions with yourself and being organized. I think that really can be applied to anything, but especially at this high school level where you're mm-hmm. thinking about post-secondary options, I think those are some pretty key things okay. to keep in so mind. So they're foundational? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so that's good. So again, students, please keep those three things in mind as you start applying for, uh, you know, your next pathway, your next step. So, Rena, I think that's... Uh, that's about it. Any uh, any closing thoughts is before we end our episode? High school is such an exciting time, and it's and it's also a very trying time. You know, mm-hmm. I I remember like we had talked about like it was really stressful in grade twelve, especially when you had to do so many things. But in retrospect, it's going to be all fun memories, and then you get to university or college or whatever pathway that you want to take after school Mm -hmm. and you're always going to look back on high school and be like oh man I really missed that and I thought that was hard no life right now is even harder but it's always going to be very fun memories that you're going to look back on so I hope you you know all enjoy uh, the last couple of years of high school don't forget to get out there and make some memories all right thanks for joining me on today's episode no problem thank you for having me really really appreciate it that has been episode three of That High School Life. Be sure to tune in next episode. My name is Joe, and this has been another episode of That High School Life. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. <laughs>